Welcome to Happy Times and Places, a positively inclined Doctor Who episode commentary podcast in which I, Toby Haydock, ask a friend to choose a Doctor Who story and to secretly select their favourite things about it. I have to watch, commentate along, drop a few facts and observations and try to guess what those favourite things are. Hi, Toby. Uh, Thanks for inviting me to this podcast. I am very honoured to be here talking about one of my favourite stories of all time. When Toby first emailed me, the first thought came to my mind was, I want to do the Romans. And I was so happy no one had done it yet. Originally, I watched Torchwood, then I watched the new series of Doctor Who, and then I watched the classic series. So I have a really weird relationship with learning old Doctor Who. So when I was in high school, I only had like one or two friends who had watched the classic series. And they were very much one of those old guard where they were like, oh no, you couldn't possibly like the Romans, no. So I felt like I couldn't like this story. So when I eventually got to this story, I approached it saying, you know what, ignore what everyone else said. I'm going to enjoy it how I want to enjoy it. And I sat down and I couldn't stop laughing throughout the entire thing. And at that moment I thought, oh no, this, this is what I love about Doctor Who. This is why it's my era of the show. So I thought this would be perfect for this podcast where it's talking about a more positive side of the show. When a lot of people have a lot of negative things to say about the Romans. For each individual episode, I've chosen a different way of approaching my favorite moment. For episode one, I have chosen a scene. And for episodes two, three, and four, I have chosen dialogue. And then for my fifth and final moment, I'm talking about the entire story as a whole, and I've chosen one particular scene, which is my absolute favorite part of the entire story. So good luck, Toby. What has the Romans ever done for us? Well, it's done this podcast. Hello. And I'm grateful to Josh, uh, who flatters me by being on this podcast, because Josh is one of the new people who has uh, uh, used the medium of the internet to um, very skillfully and effectively, those videos that Josh does are amazing, um, convey their enjoyment uh, and enthusiasm and knowledge of the show and uh, is really an innovator in uh, in in the medium of the internet uh and so i'm flattered that they've been associated very much with this uh, unplugged uh, old school uh, one person and a microphone kind of thing rather than that brilliant sort of you know um monologues where you you know you cut cut within the, the monologue and the person jumps back slightly but it it keeps the flow and it means that you can do several takes and choose your best bits and it's the way that things shoot without having to worry about whether the picture completely matches and stuff because we've kind of got over that and it's a very modern way of uh, doing things and that's what uh, josh even did on the introductory video there um and and, and has done also and of course typically because they put themselves out there in the world of youtube uh, I think occasionally gets a bit of stick as well, which must be very dispiriting when all you're doing is, uh, you know, conveying your love for the show. So I am very happy to uh, to uh, embrace Josh uh, as somebody who could easily dismiss me as one of the old fuddy duddies uh, uh, for for coming and joining me um, uh, as as one of the you know earliest people to to sort of be asked and send something pretty much instantaneously. So I'm sorry it's been hanging around in the archives. 
of uh, happy times and places for a while but i mix and match the stories and release things depending on when i fancy watching them or what the last release was or what i've got lined up so uh, it's no reflection on josh that this one was probably recorded when the universe was less than half its present size i'm interesting i'm reminded by josh's introduction that uh, people are sniffy about the romans that surprises me every time I hear it. And then it ceases to be a surprise because I remember actually seeing it uh, on, uh, I mentioned in another podcast recently, the all-time clangers uh, and all-time classics, but all-time clangers in DWB. And I think the Romans was quite high on the Hartnell list. And I think the general feeling, because nobody was really watching the episodes in those days because they weren't available to most of us, um, was that if it had the audacity to be funny, uh, it it must not work. And I think a few of the interviews with the people who'd started to be interviewed, like Verity Lambert and Christopher Barry, I remember Christopher Barry had said he thought that the, the burning of Rome had not been particularly successful. And I think Lambert had decided the out-and-out comedy uh, had been an experiment that hadn't quite worked. So I thought, I think that gave fans you know who'd seen it once what 10 15 years ago and were now you know scoring things out of 10 or whatever um went yeah well yeah yeah that one and historicals have always suffered as well i think a bit but now i think we can see everything you know on honors even out a little bit uh, and it's all a, a matter of taste in terms of you know how good the productions are there's there's not an awful lot of difference to the modern eye between anything that goes on in the 60s uh, really and uh uh, and you know that 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 fire effect in episode uh, four is uh, is is no worse than a, a, a lot of other things that surround it. Um, so you know Christopher Barry's you know m- memory of his disappointment at that shouldn't really affect us now. Um, I'm also interested that Josh um, clearly went to school with lots of f- or or the Doctor Who fan friends from the early days were fusty old Englishmen going, oh no, you shouldn't like the Romans. Was Josh in the green room of a, of a rep theatre and the night of, I don't think that's very good. I, I like that. Uh, I like Josh's voice, uh, the, the dismissive fustiness of uh, people who dislike the Romans. But I because uh, I'm watch as I watch this uh, it has just been released as part of the season two box set on Blu-ray, which I am flattered and pleased to have had a contribution on doing a documentary about David Whittaker wearing a, a an outfit combo I now regret that seemed like what I wanted to wear at the time. And I just think it looks really messy and uh, it will, of course, be there forever and will haunt me and cast a shadow over a piece of work that loads of people have been very, very nice about. And all I could think about is, why did I put that shirt on, which I couldn't do up, and have that insider jacket and outsider T-shirt and have a neckerchief that was deliberately sort of slightly, you know, floppy and voluminous by its by its de- design and, and therefore look a bit of a mess. And those burgundy trousers, which were new, aren't quite the colour scheme that I thought they were going. And, you know, instead of just going, I made a nice documentary that people liked about David Whittaker. But Whittaker is important because, of course, he's just stepped away uh, or is just about to step, yeah, just stepped away from being um, script editor. And Spooner, who wrote this, becomes the new script editor. And I think whilst Whitaker is very much the architect of much of Doctor Who as we know it and certainly many of the stronger points of that first year I think without Spooner perhaps Doctor Who wouldn't be the show that it is today because Spooner with his comedic chops and that's very interesting that you know both of those script editors are vital in different ways and I think Whitaker is probably rightly seen as the, the, the greater figure in the history of Doctor Who um 
and and probably a more sort of grown up and literary literary writer but that's because we always we all think comedy is easy and somehow but beneath us uh, I, I speak as a professional stand-up comedian um whereas of course comedy is really hard and it, you know have to be quite clever to do it but the sub we have a sort of mistrust of of comedy or we have a mistrust of comedy that takes itself too seriously therefore the comics that we love have to have this kind of veneer of ah you know it's just it's just easy. i'm just a clown whereas of course you're not just at anything if you can hold a room full of people uh, uh you know in hilarity uh, for for an hour or you know write a script that uh, it, you know is constantly serving you with laugh after laugh after laugh after laugh that you know it's not just something you just sort of rattle off you know but we we view comedy as as somehow a, a lesser art form than a story that is perhaps more philosophical um and also you know we as doctor who fans you know doctor who is terribly serious of course but doctor who wouldn't survive without its sense of humor and yet if it take doesn't take itself seriously enough that's fatal um so there's lots of interesting stuff to talk about with the romans which is why we're seven minutes in and i haven't actually started the episode yet now watch me run out of things to say so uh thanks to josh uh who i really like as a presence as an energy as a commentator and is a very inventive and gifted a communicator using the modern mediums of video messaging on the internet. Uh, I am now going to talk into a microphone and watch uh, the television, which are about two technological things I can just about muster, sometimes both at the same time. And uh, the slave traders uh, uh, are going to open for business in three, two, one... I don't know why I did that massive monologue at the beginning where I could have been saying some of that stuff during the episode itself. Um, this is quite a special story for me because it was one of the first stories that I did a DVD commentary for. At the time, it could well have been uh, one of the only two. I did uh, this and The Rescue uh, at the same time. I can't believe there is no photographic evidence of that. I was quite shocked uh, to turn up and, and to find that there was nobody there with a camera. And it was the days before iPhones and stuff. Um, so anyway, and here's, uh, you know, we start with the cliffhanger from the previous story, The Rescue, which I did um, for Happy Times and Places ages and ages ago. Uh, the wonderful Andrew Ellard, uh, you know, pointing out. Uh, it's interesting, it was because uh, having done that and commentated upon The Rescue, you know, and said, oh, it's a murder mystery with only one uh, suspect. You know, Andrew quite rightly points out, well, it's not really a murder mystery it doesn't set itself up as that it's a different kind of story it's only that we now view it you know hindsight can sort of make us take aspects for granted or have a view of a story that is is kind of wrong uh, and i think the romans has uh, you know maybe suffers from that a little bit as well because it's seen as doctor who's first attempt at out and out comedy but i think it's more interesting than that and of course we have that the, the cliffhanger and it's a great cliffhanger the tardis falling off a cliff and and i know i remember a, a friend of mine one of the first sort of old fans that i met uh, and I didn't really like the idea of a cliff. I was, remember being really surprised at the end of uh, An Unearthly Child when I watched it as part of The Five Faces of Doctor Who when they had the cliffhanger leading into uh, the Daleks. Uh, 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 and, and I remember thinking, oh, but that's harder to categorise because I liked 
each story being a story and suddenly if you're leading into the next one that blurs the lines it's a bit like all these doctors we have now there's no reason for me to be uneasy about them but it's because it makes it harder for me to categorize in my head and that makes my my sort of brain space slightly muddier than i would like it to be there's no there's no sort of artistic justification for my and yet i also like the fact that each story leads into the other because it means that they're constantly keeping the adventuring going. The writers are having to be inventive. You know, you end the story and you go, now I've got to come up with a, you know, piece of jeopardy out of nowhere because we've we've essentially just got rid of all of the jeopardy. And that's quite fun seeing how inventive uh, different writers are and how they approach luring us into the next story. But it does mean that no story you can quite watch on your own and that's then me you know having an eye on but what if i was watching this with the casual viewer and they go well but is, is that story not ended then you go no no it's because but i also remember oh and this is where the story ended for me because for ages i had i had episode one on the end of an e180 that had got something else on i think it had got uh, the last three episodes or something and then the aztecs and then then this you know was the first you know six or seven minutes or whatever and it ran out here so for ages i i had like the yeah the first first half dozen minutes of of the romans and nothing else which meant i took then ages to get the rest of it because i kind of like well i've got a feel for it i've seen a bit of it i own a bit of it um uh but uh, yes, I remember this This friend of mine, Dan, uh, one of the first sort of d- older Doctor Who fans I met, he said he didn't like um, the cliffhangers leading from one story to the other because it, it made it unbelievable. It, it suggested that everywhere they went there was danger. Whereas if, you know, if we only check in on Doctor Who when he's having adventures, um, you know, you could go, well, I might have had a year passed without anything happening. That is more believable than, you know going from frying pan to fire frying pan to fire but of course this does both because we have the cliffhanger that it then dispenses with and goes actually no that was fine just fell off the cliff they were fine uh and you know this this story takes pains to point out it at various uh instances in this episode where they go oh and we've been here for months and i i love that i love the idea that they've come to rome and they haven't immediately started adventuring what they've done is they've you know found this abandoned villa um and again they, they drop that in in case of you was going oh now where did they find that villa um uh and you know they go to great pains to, to to point that out for the cynical viewer uh and and establish that situation and i like that i like that my beloved tardis crew have had a bit of time doing what you would do if you were able to is you know set up set up house in an abandoned villa in rome and you know eat grapes and get hammered <laughs> um and i like and i like uh, all the stuff that the doctor did in that scene with ian uh talking about the pipes instead of the aqueducts and you know throwing a bit of you know educational stuff into there um and here's the slate here are the slave traders of the title sevchiria and didius uh didius is played by nick evans it took me a while as a kid to put two and two together and realize that nick evans who is the slither and nicholas evans who plays didius uh so it's slithering dalek invasion of earth uh were one in the same uh so so yeah nick evans has been rewarded for his turn as the slither uh with his face on camera and one of the the rare uh, beard but no moustache combinations in D- doctor who and indeed tv drama as a whole um uh and he's yeah and he's in and, I th- and he's in he's in the first episode of this uh, in human form having been a dalek and the slither and he comes back as an uncredited dalek in power of the daleks as well but let's not get into that uh and i've done 
uh, I've uh, yeah. So he did the commentary f- for this when I did the commentary for for the Romans, of which we have, and the rescue, of which we have no photographic evidence. I made sure to bring cameras to future ones, but uh, even then, there are not as many photos of any of the commentaries I did than I that I would like there to be. Um, you know, for some, there's like one from each episode or whatever. And I would love it if you know there'd been budget or time to think of or bodies or you know i'm sure because i'm sure anybody would have loved to turn up and bring a car simon harry's friend of mine eventually used to come you know to 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 watch and 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 brought his camera um but uh it it took a while um and here's margot thomas as the as the uh, stall holder who i think is mentioned in one of uh the watchers or nick but anyway nick nick pegg's um uh, columns in doctor magazine because he worked with her on a on a play and she was still going you know into the 1990s had a long a long career one episode in this never never troubles doctor again in fact there's lots of people in this episode who are only in this one episode the romans is one of those stories where the guest cast sort of come and go which is why i think derek sydney here um uh, who ended up in america actually when i was first looking at imdb he was still alive and kicking he died in 2000 uh, but but was based over there in the states and working in in or, or volunteering in theater in 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 san diego had retired as an actor in, in 1990 um uh, but I think this character was supposed to be a one-off character. He's one of the two slave traders. And he ends up sort of, when you get to Rome, becoming the kind of lead henchman at uh, Nero's court for for no real reason. I th- and I think I read somewhere, but it's a long time ago. But but I think I think my instinct that, oh, is that is that him all the way through? Because I hadn't quite worked out that it was. Uh, was that there had been a series of characters or one or two different characters and they'd gone there's there's too many characters in this so so let's make you know the slave trader that we meet who's a bit villainous in in part one be the guy who who hangs around and does sort of villainous rabble rousing and stuff like that uh in, in the later episodes in rome so so it's not everybody sort of jumping in and out because not men there's not i think he's the only character in all four episodes actually um because everyone else sort of comes and goes a little bit, including here Maximus Battalion, who's about to go because uh, the one Barry, Barry Jackson's mute assassin is about to kill him. It's quite grim. Now, because Roman times... Is, I've just been watching The Caves of Androzani, which is a, a grim and dirty and dangerous Doctor Who story, and you could make a, 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 a Doctor Who story with the same kind of atmosphere and pragmatic... Uh, and a cynical view of the expendability of life uh, set in Roman times. But instead, they decide to do Doctor Who's sort of first and perhaps only farce, um, and and I love it for that. And I and I love all of this uh, stuff about larks' tongues and baked pomegranates. They do that again in the fires of Pompeii, don't they? Where where it seems to me a little bit more self-conscious, but I think it's because the. The, it's the Roman characters doing it, saying, oh, could I have some bees in honey or whatever it is that they ask for? And, and it's sort of almost like they're, they're, they're telling each other what Romans have to eat, which seems to me slightly more artificial than, than when it's done here, where they're sort of chatting about, you know, a, a, an alien food stuff, if, if you like, and educating us at the same time. Uh uh and hartnell is really right rises to the challenge they all rise to the challenge of the the comedy they all play the genre but rarely i think without you know stepping into the bounds of ludicrousness i mean the doctors are slightly different kettle of fish because he he can be a character that of of, of extremes 
anyway. Um, but he, I, I seem to recall in this episode, he 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 sort of varies between being you know slightly clueless, getting the wrong end of the stick, and being very wily uh, as as the the comedy requires, which is kind of naughty because comedy should you know the 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 joke should arise or organically. But the beauty is, of course, the Doctor can be any of those extremes of character because he's this eccentric alien. Uh, and, and therefore it kind of gets away with it and you enjoy the fact that you clearly enjoy the fact that Hartnell is enjoying it and his co-stars are enjoying him enjoying it so it's all rather infectious you know but there's a fine line there as well because you don't want to watch actors having too too much fun if you're not included in the fun that seems a little bit like they're amusing themselves and not you but I don't I don't think that happens here I think this is fun and I think it's quite infectious um, I, I I love this team um vic is only just joined and of course i love that bit earlier on when she's talking to barbara and she said i thought you just said you had loads of adventures and all i've done here is sit in a villa and i do love i do love that idea that they you know when they said yes come along because all we do is have adventures i love the way she's so excited and she does that jumping about uh and sort of young enthusiasm thing um i, I adore ian and barbara uh and and Hartnell is is on great form, and of course comedy is an essential part of Doctor Who. Comedy is hard to get right because if you if you put too much comedy into Doctor Who, you ruin it. You you, you know you don't want to you don't want to break the spell. You don't want to be too arch about it. If you're postmodern and winking at the audience, that's a bit smug. You don't really like it, and it doesn't help with the drama. And of course, this has to this has to be genuinely dangerous in places, and I and I think that it is, and it has to be genuinely funny in places, and that that takes a lot of, you know, nifty judgment, uh, and and at this period in Doctor Who's history, apart from, I mean, Hart, you know, Hartnell has funny bits and, and and stuff, but you know, and and there are some some comic characters in, in Marco Polo. But that that I think are, are slightly more organic because Marco Polo is quite a sort of lyrical script, so it has those sort of they're sort of more colourful characters, really. Whereas, uh, uh, sort of, uh, I don't know what now. I don't know why I think say Wang Lo in Marco Polo is less of an arch comic device than the uh, the Roadworks Overseer in the reign of terror which is what i was building to where i'm saying you know the first real examples of kind of comedy 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 and the jailer you know where where dennis spooner sort of starts to take flight and you know tell tells his you know spying adventure in history but but brings his sort of comic sensibilities to it where i'm gonna now continue with my my thesis and and maybe skip over marco polo for now uh, and go i love the way by the way that you don't have to put on a latex disguise or do much to you know to to fit in as 60s people in in ancient rome you just have to brush ian's hair and i love that it's just a little nod and it's just a little bit of fun and i love these two and just kiss him go on um, uh fall in love uh go on you're away from school we won't tell anybody what happens in rome stays in rome i love these two um and um but 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 spooner coming in and going we can have a bit of fun with this having had those wonderful philosophical thoughtful educational rethian 
foundations laid by his predecessor as script editor david whittaker who i do think is 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 an important architect a key architect of doctor who uh quoting shakespeare here uh quoting uh mark antony mark antony and julius caesar uh and then <laughs> barbara's response oh boy that was a mistake is terribly funny um i mean they get hammered don't they i love that um but then, but I, th I think it was one of Doctor Who's strokes of fortune is that having gone from the very sensible and intelligent and, you know, children's literature fluent David Whittaker, we then go to the, the cheeky, funny, uh, colourful, um, perhaps slightly more lightweight in terms of ambition uh now so i've i've seen some people saying that that's nick evans by the way missing missing his scabbard i i i've always read that as him pretending you know practicing his stabbing moves uh because he's not he's not he's not a very experienced slave trader slash killer and that's him being sort of uh, beefing himself up and going this is so i'm going to stab people it's only recently so some i saw somebody go oh he's, he keeps going to do his scabbard and then misses well because no because there's a planned close-up right at the end of the scene and he's supposed to do that then so again the more generous uh interpretation is often the correct one i think um i i i'm now look i don't glorify and uh in portrayals of drunkenness because Alcohol is a very serious business and can cause many people great problems. But I love this. I think it's very funny. Uh, <laughs> and there are few examples of drunkenness in Doctor Who. And this is this is perhaps the greatest of them. There, there is one in Colony in Space that I like where a few actors decide to liven up a scene uh, by, by playing it slightly pissed and then another scene a bit later hung over, which I'm sure I will talk about when I do Colony in Space. Oh, Tempora Omore. So Omore, he's now having quoted Shakespeare, he's now quoting Cicero. Um, and I remember um, mentioning that to Christopher Barry and saying, you know, did, did you know? Did you feel the need to explain any of that when you're throwing in a bit of Latin into, uh, uh, you know, your children's tea time adventures? And he sort of basically went, "Kids were more educated in those days," which I had a lot of sympathy for. Uh, <laughs> uh, is, is there such a thing? Did anyone do the classics these days? The stories are great, you see, and it's a fascinating language. Um, I, I did I did Latin uh, I did Latin at O level, and I did I got I did very GCSE, um, and then I was going to do it for A level, and we had it was the same Latin teacher, although it was at a college up the road, uh, and and he basically said, um, uh, well, I only, you're only to do it if if you're to take it seriously, Toby, and I was like, hang on, I got I got an A out what, um, and um, I remember the the theatre studies teacher when I told him that said don't do it because because he's obviously marked your card already you'll have a terrible time so i did i did something else instead but uh, which is a shame one teacher uh can put you off doing a thing and change your course i would because uh, uh i like i like latin um and uh, i was all right at it uh but it was good advice i think from the theater studies teacher mr barge uh, just it was interesting to hear to talk of another teacher like that just go you shouldn't have done that and you don't want to you don't want to be doing that then uh so i didn't although my my future wife did so i could have been i could have been you know a mower massing a matting her uh, all that time because there was only i think only two of them ended up doing a level 
Latin in the end. Anyway, why am I talking about that? Uh, oh, because he quoted Cicero, a tempora amoris, which, uh, uh, which is a bit of Latin thrown in to early Doctor Who, the Romans, which we're watching, which is also for all the, yes, it's appealing to educated children, has the farcical comedy stylings of Dennis Spooner where they found a dead body in a hedge. It's I like this very simple road set, by the way, with a, 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 enough lush greenery uh, and uh, and then the lighting here to make it night. You know, it's uh, it's it's simple, but it's effective. Striking looking actor here, Dennis Edwards, who, again, I remember there's a great picture of him and Ascaris here. Uh, as a full page picture in the Doctor Who the early years book and it makes it look like you know he's a really important character and that they're in a film because a lot of those black and white design stills make some of this stuff look a million dollars and like you know movie stills and of course that's not what they are and actually I've recently watched this scene um, uh, being giggled at by Bonnie Langford who notices Dennis Edwards's helmet moves every time he talks and I think it's in the Beyond the Sofa on the Blu-ray set uh, and this, they showed this clip at the BFI when uh, the season two Blu-ray was launched and Bonnie Langford's uh, laughing at this hat moving up and down was was infectious and not normally the sort of thing I approve of going, you, you just you can ignore a hat moving up and down. Watch the scene, watch the beauty of it, watch the, the wonderful artistry of ancient television making. And of course, you need to get over, I need to get over myself and uh, absolutely did when uh, Bonnie Langford's infectious hilarity at the wobbly helmet uh, 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 made that a very uh, a very fun sequence which is the only part of the behind the sofas I've, I've seen I haven't had a chance to to watch uh, any of the season two box set thus far apart from uh, the, the preview of obviously of the documentary that I made uh, just to make sure there was nothing in it I hated and there was loads and it was everything I was wearing and what I look like uh, and my hair and face and gait and posture, uh, tone of voice and everything I say and do. But other than that, I think it was pretty bloody marvellous. Um, he gets lots of nice close-ups in this episode, I seem to recall, Dennis Edwards. And here's Edward Kelsey, uh, who appears later in The Power of the Daleks and even later still in Creature from the Pit, all directed by Christopher Barry. He just plays Slave Trader here, where he spends, I think, most of his... He's, again, only in this episode. Um, he, I think he has to do lots of baddie laughing acting, um, which is really hard to do, and I'm not sure he entirely gets away with it. But uh, he's a great bushy-eyebrowed, uh, prominently-nosed actor who uh, became famous in this country for playing Joe Grundy in the radio drama The Archers. And Joe Grundy was a farmer um, uh, and, a, and a great character, a sort of... Uh, uh, the, the, the Grundy family are sort of lovable ne'er-do-wells. He was a, he was a, 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 a sort of lovable rogue, Joe Grundy. Uh, and he took over the part from Hayden... Jones, who is Vosper in The Mind of Evil, and they were mates. And Hayden Jones died, but I think had recommended Kelsey to the production team or recommended Kelsey be in The Archers, and then it ended up, it turned up he inherited the part from his from his friend. Um, Hayden Jones is also the autumn voice in Terror of the Autons. Um, and Kelsey, uh, who I corresponded with, who sent me a lovely letter when I did some, uh, it's a piece I had in Doctor Who magazine where I, uh, had interviews with actors from Power of the Daleks, and it was Bernard Archard, uh, Edward Kelsey, and, and Robert James. Uh, 
and Edward um, Kelsey. Yeah, sent me a lovely, lovely letter. Um, and what was I saying about that? Uh, he oh, and I informed him of his place in Doctor Who history because by dint of him appearing in Power of the Daleks, he is the first credited guest actor to appear on screen with more than one leading Doctor Who. If you see what I mean, he's the first. Yeah, he's the first. Yeah, guest performer to to appear with more than one Doctor. Um, so there we have it. So well done, Edward Kelsey. Uh, he's big. I think he goes off laughing now as well, <laughs> and I think you hear him laughing as he disappears. And of course, this is the, the 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 setup, isn't it? So Ian and Barbara were together, having already split up from the Doctor and and Vicky, and now and I and and this was always something that hit home to me in early Doctor Who was that you know the danger is as much from the geography. So so the idea, you know, Ian rather lamely goes, "I'll look for you in Rome." It's like, that's what I said, I'll look for you in London. Do you know what I mean? It's massive. Um, uh, and, you know, they don't have any other sort of form of communication device and don't know the place. You know, there's suddenly, you know, needles in different haystacks scattered all about. You know, they may as well be scattered across the cosmos. Uh, and and, and look, this is interesting because it looks like um, Dennis Edwards is the centurion is going to come a sort of major player we don't see him again we see him as a corpse next week but it ain't dennis edwards but that's another story uh so this is the final bit we get at him he's got an excellent face uh and a lovely sneer and he was a nice actor uh and uh was 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 still around in the early 2000s but uh i don't think anybody ever wrote or corresponded with him which is a shame i should have done uh barry jackson we must talk about as well um because he uh, has a as a as a, a series of nice connections with doctor who but all connection connecting must cease now because that's the end of the episode oh i did have plenty to say um so yeah but the but part of the farce of them all being split up um is also part of the danger as with you know marco polo of the of that idea that you know that you have to be close to the tardis otherwise you're in desperate trouble in this area era in doctor who because the the you know the, the landscape and the worlds that you inhabit are big and sprawling and the idea that you might get back to, you know to the tardis in ancient rome when you know modes of transport take you know days weeks years to get you back to where you left and the fact is you don't have maps iphones all you know all any of those sorts of things um it means that just the the simple act of taking you away from your haven and splitting you up is as as potentially you know deadly and disastrous and dangerous as anything else and that makes the whole sort of universe and landscape of uh, hartnell era doctor who in particular you know dangerous in and of itself before you introduce plot and character and i I'm, I'm always taken by that because it almost seems like god you know everything seems so impossible the stakes are so high um but of course and i didn't mention i was wittering on about something else um the the wonderful bit where uh barbara goes to hit the Sevchiria over the head with uh, with the vase and misses and hits Ian and he does a sort of comedy. There's a bit of comedy. William Russell enjoys doing his comedy woozy acting, either drunk or, you know, semi-conscious. Um, <laughs> there's that odd bit where Didius holds his sort of head up and there's a, quite a slightly too long close-up of poor old William Russell having to keep going, I'm doing woozy now. Um, but I, I I love the the slightly tipsy 
you know, tottering, lazing about, you know, it has been said elsewhere, potentially post-coitally lazing about that Ian and Barbara are doing in the uh, in 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 the villa. I do love that. I do love I'm watching a program at the moment, a totally different program on 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 the BBC called Happy Valley. Uh, and one of the things that is superb about it is that I believe every single relationship. And it's not just the obvious stuff like the sisters and all that sort of stuff, which is which is very very well done indeed. Um, and uh, you know has, has had a lot of very painstaking attention paid to it but it's it's things like a relationship with a boss as they're walking down the corridor and having a quick chat and you go there's so much history there because of what the actors are doing because of the writing but the writing is so economic as well and I think anything that that makes you believe that these people know each other outside of this scene and that there's a that there's a weight of history that's unspoken and yet something some kind of alchemy between writing and performance and chemistry of actors means you go i i believe that these person people were hanging about with each other five years ago and that what we're seeing now is an accumulation of that of that you know that of that timeline uh i i always think is very very impressive because when it's good you don't notice it uh uh and then when you do sort of suddenly notice it you go oh wow that that is good because it's it's good when it doesn't draw attention itself it just does it organically and as i say with kind of alchemy and and i and i love the 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 comfortableness with which william russell and jacqueline hill conduct themselves and i don't think they're and I remember saying to William Russell during one commentary, I'm sure, you know, I said, and of course, didn't Ian and Barbara get together? And he sort of went, no. And I was like, oh, really? Oh, come on. Um, uh, I, wanted, I desperately wanted him to say yes, and he just knocked it down. Uh, he did that a few times in commentaries for me, where I, where I tried to get him to uh, go with me on something, and he just didn't, and not, not unkindly. I just don't think we were on the same wavelength, which is a real shame. Um but he uh oh he's a legend i love him uh and i love her i never got the chance to meet her um but i th i think uh, yeah so i'm not sure that they're they're necessarily suggesting anything there but i am more than happy to impose uh unutterable love uh between unutterable no because that means yeah well maybe unspoken unspoken love between ian and barbara that will eventually blossom but the beauty is that it blossoms when we don't see it because that would spoil it that would sully it you never that's the problem with will they or won't they when when they do and they will it immediately spoils because potential is always more exciting than actuality uh you know so it's you know isn't it was it the experience of traveling hopefully is actually more gratifying than the experience of arriving and uh yeah, I, d I don't want to see Ian and Barbara arrive together. <laughs> Not even at the same time. Um, so Josh has lent me a, given me a clue as well. Josh there said, uh, he was choosing a scene from part one and then dialogue from parts two, three and four. Now, do I try and therefore match Josh? and see if i can win this one or do i be true to myself and go well bah, but what am i you know what do i because because i'm you know i well one of my favorite things about this story is Derek francis as nero and you know that's not a that's not a scene or a piece of dialogue <clears throat> well actually i don't have to worry about that for the moment 
because I think I I I I I think my my favourite bit is the Ian and Barbara woozy from drink. Um, slave traders come in. Barbara hits Ian over the head with the vase. I love it, and that speaks to and I can sort of slightly cheat because that scene speaks to what I think makes the Romans what it is. Is its bold embracing of comedy without actually undermining the adventure serial element of Doctor Who, without undermining its seriousness of intent, because what is it the third Doctor says, you know, uh, somebody says, are you serious about, about about what I do? Yes, not necessarily about how I do it. Uh, and just because something is funny and comedic, it doesn't mean its intent is not serious. It doesn't mean its message is not serious. Now, I'm not saying there's a message to the Romans, but it does have a an educational element. The stuff that school children watching will have benefited from. Bit of Shakespeare, bit of Cicero, Latin, um, uh, but also just having it set in Roman times and having slave auctions and togas and, uh, you know, th those costumes and centurions and the doctors chat about, you know, pipes, uh, not having pipes, but having aqueducts instead. So that you, you do have the the educational uh, remit of Doctor Who there, but not in a po-faced way. And again, something can be educational without being deadly serious. Now, there's nothing more embarrassing than a teacher trying to be wacky and funny. So I can understand those who might go, well, I, I prefer my history lessons to be a bit more sober, but I actually prefer, like my history lessons being a bit a bit drunk in a villa. Ha <laughs> um, so I th I think and and I think because it's an important development the Spooner voice that means that Doctor Who you know acquires and embraces that that sort of comedic seam in its DNA and it's Doctor Who's sense of humor has often been the saving of it I I don't agree that you know Doctor Who is good because it's bad I don't agree that Doctor Who is good because it's aware of its own you know it sends itself up it's it's tongue in cheek I, d I don't believe that. I believe it can sometimes acknowledge its own stupidity, but without, but not cynically, you know, because it, it is a daft premise, but it embraces it lovingly. It revels in it, but, but without ever undermining the seriousness that has to accompany it in order for it to be an exciting and engaging drama. And, and you know, the Romans goes as far into comedy as, as perhaps Doctor Who ever can, and yet it still has the serious adventuring stuff. And I think it balances that quite nicely, and I think that comedic voice, you know, if Doctor Who hadn't had that, I don't think it would have lasted. You know, a lot of our favourite moments of Doctor Who and, 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 and what the character does uh, is is that being this eccentric alien allows the Doctor to have funny reactions and to sometimes be a bit clueless, but also equally to sometimes be, um, you know, cunning to outmanoeuvre us, to be to 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 sometimes play the fool in order to disguise their great intelligence. Uh, so you know, lots going on. The comedy of the Romans speaks to a lot about the whole of the the DNA of Doctor Who. And I think I interrupted myself. I, I got a message from my friend Johnny Candon last night going, I thought the Romans were supposed to be a duffer. I'm watching it and I'm having a great time. And I went, no, no, I don't think, yeah. I said, I think some people don't, you know, worry about the the, the, the comedy angle of it. And it was funny, he was, he was another one, like, and Josh alluded to this in, in the intro, uh, who'd been led to believe that everybody thinks the Romans is a bit crap. 
uh, and was delighted by how brilliant it is. But I think there's a bit more of an appetite, and I sense this from some of the younger fans as well, having gone to the BFI to watch The Time Meddler. Um, it was d- great to see, and I, and, I, and I read sometimes and I see younger fans talking about Hartnell, and they love him, but they particularly love him when he's being funny and when he's being daft and when he's being dotty. And I, th- and I think maybe I grew up in the shadow of Doctor Who be, be wanting to be taken very seriously and I wanted Doctor Who to be very taken seriously because if it wasn't taken seriously it, it might be axed or, or or people might laugh at me or mock my love of it so it was important that it wasn't a children's program and it, that it was very serious and of course now when I see people take see people taking Doctor Who too seriously I go no this, you're, you're killing it you know uh, you're, you're killing it with your desire for it to be so important and so serious and for for, for, for you know for it to be to, you, you know commenting on everything every time every single line can't be a throwaway line it has to be some kind of um, you know problematic uh, issuing or some reinforcement of something very moral you know it's it's, it's a fun and zany adventure at, it, at its best and actually that's when you can make the serious points because you've won people over with charm and with humor and which is why often the british sense of humor works so well with um uh when it when it's working on on both of those levels but but in order to do that you know that the, the fun has to be infectious first and you know we're living in a time now interestingly where where comedians um you know i, th- I think it's a, it's not an unfair observation that some say a lot of comedians now want a round of applause for saying something on the on the button rather than being funny and i think sometimes you know there's you know some some talk about you know you know where comedy is important and you know comedy needs to you know not not just be funny it needs to be about something i'm you know i'm i you know i'm convinced by that argument yes comedy you know worthwhile comedy can be about something and can be making an important point but you can go so far and go well you're doing all of that but you've forgotten the the first bit which is the comedy bit uh and you know making 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 people laugh to lure them in and then you've got them and then you can do all the other stuff uh is is not to be underestimated and it's a balancing act and the Romans, you know, tips the balance in famous of in, in favour of comedy quite a lot. But there is still, you know, it's not Black Adder. Uh, it's you know, it it still has quite a lot of you know all the stuff with Ian and Delos is you know is played absolutely straight. You know, um, and you know Nero is a is a larger than life character anyway. So whether he's meant to be funny or not, he was always going to be, you know, slightly, slightly odd oddball and 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 and. Uh, uh, uh and, and ott you know even without you know this 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 story's deliberate comic intent so what i'm saying is comedy is important uh, it's also not easy it's not to be underestimated uh and it is a key element of this story and that scene that is entertaining in of itself but uh then has has resonance throughout the rest of the story and of course you know initiates the farcical element of the of all of our characters being split up and just missing each other, which will come into the fore in later episodes and which is delightful. So, so it's the, the ripple is caused by, by not a pebble, but by a smashed vase over a science teacher's head. So I'm going to go for that scene in the villa, which has been slightly sneaky on me because it, it uh, you know, Josh did say that they were going to choose a scene. So let's see if that's the right scene. My favourite moment from the first episode is from the scene where Ian and Barbara are lounging about and Barbara tricks Ian into going to the fridge to get something. And obviously there is no fridge. 
It's one of those moments that I love most in classic Doctor Who, especially the William Hartnell era, when they have those moments of quiet time where they can sit down and have a little chat and there's something really magical about it. And you can just tell that everyone on set is just having a really good time. And when you can tell the actors are having a good time, the audience will have a good time. Ah, uh, yes, I, I'd miss that with all my chatter. It is a great moment when she sends him to the fridge. <laughs> but I and I did allude to that in the in the commentary, didn't I? That I I do. It's totally counterintuitive. I do love the fact that this story starts with the idea that they haven't been having an adventure. It just makes it more believable to me. He says in a farce about Roman times. But it it it, it and you know the the cliffhanger in between each story does you know does suggest an overarching an adventure in time and space it's not a series of adventures it's an adventure in time and space which is why one story leads to another in the whole adventure i.e the whole canon of doctor who is one big adventure but so so you know that's 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 my love-hate relationship with the the interstory cliffhangers i love them because they're an anomaly they're different they're a thing that was in the early series and you know stopped being a regular thing um, we still get the occasional one throughout the show, but it was a was a stylistic thing, as with the individual episode titles that was that was phased out. Um, so that also makes it a sort of winning part of the early development of the show that we see disappear, although never quite. And it the, and actually some of those you know end of stories leading into the other stories carry on longer than we like to think sometimes because uh, i think you know again collectively in our minds i it kind of it's phased out with the individual episode titles but actually um you know quite a lot of those uh, you know uh, uh, you know um uh, uh, un underwater menace leads into moon base moon base leads into macro terror um uh, and various other exact you know enemy into into web um, so, uh, but Dominators into Mind Robot, you know, so so you think, oh, yes, they phased those out with the episode. Oh, no, actually, they didn't. And we even get them, you know, into End of Four to Doomsday, into Kinder. And there have been, been modern stories where there's been a sort of more continuous narrative as well. So even though I think of Doctor Who as a series of single adventures, it's not. It's a it's a richer, continuous tapestry and, and more starkly so in those early days, which, uh, which was really interesting to find out as a fan going back. You know, when I first started watching, when, oh, my God, OK, I didn't realise uh, that, you know, one adventure led into another. So that was part of the archaeology of Enjoying Doctor Who. You find out a thing that wasn't actually as much part of the show when I grew up watching it as it had been in the history that I then went on to discover and what a joy it is to uncover history. Um, as, as Doctor Who's creators, they had a different kind of history in mind uh, in visions. In, in visions. Um, but but so yes i i i like that and I, but i also take take the point my friend made of going but it's it's less believable if it's you know one piece of jeopardy after another um but this this does both cleverly it has the cliffhanger that leads into the story that what makes you want to come back after watching the rescue and then just goes actually that was just a you know uh, don't don't worry about that tardis fell off a cliff they're fine and they've been here for ages. And isn't this a bit more believable? And isn't this a bit more of a relaxing start, which we're then going to upset? We're going to lull them into a false sense of security. And that helps with the drama and the storytelling, but also means that we have those lovely moments. We we love being with these guys and because they're all so good. And 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 I I you know, I, I agree with Josh that we like watching actors have fun. It's not as simple as that, because if actors are having fun and forgetting that 
we'd like to have some too, that can seem a little bit self-indulgent and a little bit smug. Um, but that isn't the case here. But again, it's not... When it's done well, it's sometimes worth pointing out that, you know, we only like it because they're good at it and that it's not guaranteed to be something we would enjoy watching unless it's done by deft, skilled and likeable people, which that quartet um, definitely is. Uh, so uh, I didn't... I, th I, I think I might be in a bit of trouble with uh, with Josh here. Uh, it would be nice if I... Uh, so I've got three, three individual, three bits of dialogue for episodes two, three, and four, and then a scene for the overall thing. Well, I have a scene in this that I think is amazing and also wrong and funny and also not a bit naughty. But we will get to that. Uh, I wonder if so. I wonder if I can anticipate what Josh's bonus thing would be, which is a scene dialogue I can't and it's actually quite hard to do dialogue when I'm doing this because obviously I'm talking over it and in fact I've, I've just remembered there's that brilliant bit when uh, <laughs> when the doctor's talking to Vicky after he's spoken to the oh there's so many good bits of dialogue I like that you know what, 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 when she says you know uh you know, I watch all the liars, isn't it? When uh, when he's took, when the doctor is lying to the the centurion, that's great. Uh, and then when she goes, you don't even know what your name is, do you? And he goes, yes, my name is. Uh, and then the centurion goes, Maximus Battalion. And he goes, yeah, there we go. Uh, that 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 comic uh, interplay. So yes, amongst the farce and the you know the physical comedy of smashed vases and you know picking hoisting people over your shoulders and all that that wordplay in that scene between uh the doctor and vicky and the centurion is cracking is great uh lovely 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 so let's not forget that either so there is going to be dialogue but it's hard for me because i nearly got did that whole commentary without mentioning those bits which i which i love because they register less when i'm chatterboxing throughout but i have to chatterbox throughout because this is a commentary and you're not allowed to have clips or hear the episode you have to have this uh you know witted monologue without a and if i don't say anything you just get silence and uh whatever this is 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 you know albeit only marginally better than silence when it comes to a podcast so anyway so i've got a tough task ahead of me to uh identify a, a, a bits of dialogue from the next three episodes uh but let's see what happens because the road i'm traveling on is going to take me to episode two of the romans and as we know all roads lead to rome well thank you ever so much for listening to happy times and places which is presented by me toby haydoke and my special guest josh snares who can be found on twitter at josh underscore snares and they also have a youtube channel youtube.com forward slash josh snares i'm grateful to the many patrons who make these podcasts possible and they include kitty placati leanne potts liam price ian radford peter reed paula reynolds marie robertson alex rowan darren rule john rumfitt gavin rymill tom selinsky matt sawyer nick salmond Edward Salt, Samuel, Keith Say, Frank Shales, Christopher Sharp, John Sheehan, Brian Sinclair, Trevor Smith, Richard Smith, Andrew Snedden, David Spencer, Matthew Speddings, David Spofforth, 
Chris Stokes, Adam Stone and Mark Swan. The music is by Dave Gates, the artwork by Dylan Patterson. How would you like your name to be read out like those names were just then? Oh, Toby, I can't think of anything I'd like more. Well, for a mere £3 a month, that can happen. Uh, because that's one of the perks of being a patron at patreon.com forward slash Toby Haydoke. Or putting your hat in front of you as you busk on cyberspace, as that's what it really is. But it's the way of doing things. It's the way a lot of we self-employed creatives had to turn uh, during the pandemic and have continued to sort of make part of what we do for our livelihood now. Hopefully it means some of the gatekeepers for our artistic endeavours have uh, no longer, um, you know, uh, are the only people that have to open ways uh, to audiences for us, but it does mean that uh, we have to, um, well, we have to sort of catch your eye and point to our empty hats or <laughs> or a cap full of two peas or three pounds because that's where the lowest tier starts. Three pounds a month at patreon.com forward slash Toby Haydock. And you get bonus releases, early releases, exclusive releases, stuff that's just for you. Three releases per week also on the Patreon page. And that doesn't include the pictures of my dog, which are kind of sneaky underground number four. Uh, and you also get 10% off the £3 a month. Or There are higher tiers with lures, uh, but all of the actual recorded material is available for the lowest tier. But you get a 10% discount if you sign up for a year. Times are tough, and that uh, monthly commitment may not be your bag, in which case you can go to ko-fi.com forward slash Toby Haydoke, where instead of yeah throwing pennies into my hat, you, uh, you watch me packing up my guitar and you say, do you want to go for a coffee, mate? And uh, you, you buy me a coffee. Although then you'd be a, you'd, you'd probably have to talk to me, whereas this way you can just sort of leave the coffee there and shuffle off without catching my eye and having to make small talk with me. Um, anyway, I think I think that's enough metaphors for me basically saying, yes, if you'd like to give me some money, it's such an awkward thing to do. Anyway, done now. Um, and I know times are tough. Uh, I know, uh, I mean, utility bills have gone absolutely ludicrous um, and so I'm just happy if these ramblings of mine give you some entertainment during tough times and free entertainment when uh, things are a bit lean is what it's all about and if that's what I'm giving you I am more than happy I am happy that you listen to this I'm happy that you're still listening now because really the you know the fun is over so I do have a fact to impart in the post credits bit so if you've never stayed for one before this might be the one to do um but what costs you nothing is to go to uh, YouTube. Well, not YouTube. Don't go to YouTube. I mean, you can go to YouTube. But before you go there, go to iTunes and Podbean and Spotify and all the places that you consume podcasts. Give these Toby Hedox Time Travels five stars and perhaps a couple of lines of review so that people know what they're getting and to, you know, help these to stand out from the crowd of many podcasts out there and many Doctor Who podcasts, many of which are absolutely fantastic. So uh, a helping hand is always uh, you know, very gratefully received. I'm a professional stand-up comedian. Are you really? Etc. Um, I do a comedy club in Manchester every Tuesday called At Excess Malarkey. No, it's called 
Excess Malarkey, at Excess Malarkey, is what its Twitter feed is called. Excess, M-A-L-A-R-K-E-Y. Uh, it's, I think it's more efficient than my brain-to-mouth coordination is at the moment. I'm also on Twitter, at Toby Haydoke. That's not my name. Um, or I don't pronounce the at, as the great comedian Noel James would say. About, uh, let's not get into uh, that, but I acknowledge him as the provenance for that observation. Um, and at Haydoke Podcasts is the Twitter feed for these podcasts. I'm going to do damage limitation by not saying any more because when I say things, it all seems to go wrong right now. So here's the post-credits bit. Um, the, the I record these, the, the titles, as it were, uh, sometime after I've done the you know the the, the commentary and uh, edited it all together and then I do this at the end um including the introduction that's all a, you know a, a, a separate track done right at the end when it's all been put together and so I've uh, I've had reason today to be wishing a friend of mine happy birthday John Deere who is writing a book about the ghost stories for Christmas uh, and is on the recent BFI Blu-ray release of Ghost Stories for Christmas which if you haven't got he's done uh, commentaries and notes and all sorts on it uh, so he's doing very well and it's his birthday as I record this today which is the 16th of January and so as part of his birthday celebrations I sent him a list of people who he shared his birthday with and one of those is Margot Thomas who plays the stall holder in episode one of the Romans that we have just done and he went innocently oh does that mean it was her birthday on the day it went out and I went oh Yes, of course, because I know that the rescue is on my birthday, which is the 2nd of January. So it's like, oh, so two weeks later, and I just... And yes, episode one of the Romans went out on the 16th of January, which is when I'm recording this. So, uh, what is it, 2023? No, so 58 years later. Who'd have thought it? Nobody, because it's actually not that much of a great cosmic coincidence. But I quite like the fact that I was wishing John happy birthday on Margot Thomas's birthday on the day that I was doing Margot Thomas's episode of Happy Times and Places. So there we are. Isn't that fun? I mean, it's it's what passes for fun this far post the credits in a free podcast. This is, if you're having any more fun than this, uh, you know, I think you need to be, you're, I think you're probably in some sort of municipal building or party or actual, you know, f- film. <laughs> but anyway, there we go. That's that's the currency we're spending here. Happy birthday, Margot Thomas. So what I'm saying is what that means is, sorry, the fact, the fact, sorry, he says coming back. The, the whole point of this bit that I nearly forgot was that Margot, on Margot Thomas's birthday, she was on telly in the Romans. So I wonder if she had a birthday party. They went, uh, should we just put on BBC One to see what I've been up to? Um, so yeah, Margot Thomas's birthday present to herself uh, <laughs> might well have been what getting all her friends who've come round to watch the Romans at her house. I have no idea. I never met her. Um, I think Nick Peck did though. I think he said he worked with her in theatre once. So um, yeah, she she was born in 1919. So 29, 39, 49. 59 uh she would it would have been her 46th 
45th, no 45th because it's 1964, the Romans, isn't it? It's 1960, no, it's 1965, it is, it's 1965, idiot, brain fart, that's the sort of thing that can, oh, cause whole forums to explode if you make that sort of mistake somewhere. Um, uh, 1965, the Romans, so she would have been 40, it would have been her 46th birthday when the Romans uh, went out. Her episode of the Romans went out on her 46th birthday. Um, wow. Um, I don't I don't know what that means, but but it's it's a it's and it's not a new fact. Her birthday was out there and the day of the Romans being on was out there. But I've never put two and two together that somebody from the Romans was in it. And when it was broadcast, it was their birthday. And I do know that fact now. And I feel better for knowing that. And if you don't, then you've got no soul.